listening to C3 Church Vancouver podcast. We know you'll be blessed by this message. Oh, thank you, Catherine. You know, I'm so glad for my family to be in church and serving the Lord in church. And uh, as I look down there at the Rodways visiting us this morning, it's so good to see you. This is Brett's mum and dad, okay? Coming to check out on Brett. Brett, But, you know, talk about family in church. You know, sometimes the devil gets into the, into the mix. This is not about you. <laughs> you know, it's not about you. And makes horrible little, you know, provoking things about why is all the family... Well, I've got to tell you, when you look at a family like this, who's so dedicated, so committed, they live the dream, they sell the house and home, they shift, and even in their stage of life, which is just so youthful, made a big move to come to Canada. But their roots are, are deeply in faith and in, and in Pentecostal church too, I might add. I'd just like to slip that one in, you know, because a little heritage preference here. But these people were raised in church and they've produced other church mice. Thank God for it. Don't listen to those voices, those demons that criticize when a whole family is active. It's a demon trying to destroy the process of church. And I want to say that very clearly as a senior pastor of this church. You know, there are things that want to mitigate against what God is raising up. Bless it and be part of it. At the end of the day, we're not nepotistic. What we are is we want to see every family raising sons and daughters in the church, rising to faith, living the dream. You know, we never brought Catherine and Josh over here. We tried to get away from them. We never brought Glenn and Susan over here. We tried to get away from them. Glenn! I mean, Glenn, okay? He's our thorn. (laughs) But I want to tell you, of their own volition, in their own time, in their own ways, they sold up every single thing they've got. They moved, shifted against opportunity, against jobs, against house and home, whatever was begging and offering to be here and in isolation of much better parents on the other side of the family than us. So I just got to say that because I, I'm, I'm aware that sometimes it's not only in that realm, but there's, there's other things that come out from the enemy that try to destroy a work of God. And don't be a, don't be a, don't be a channel, you know, don't be a critique of it. Uh, bless it, get in on it. There's a place for everyone. Some people say, well, where do I fit? You know, you know that's a terrible question, really. I'll tell you where you fit. You fit by getting in and being participatory in everything that's going on, and it emerges. But if you sit and critique it from afar or from behind, it doesn't emerge. You won't fit. If you're not there, it won't open up. You know it won't open up. It just, it just won't happen. Because God blesses a certain degree of faithfulness. God blesses a certain degree of participation. And that's about where I want to start in my message this morning. So having got that little bit out, because I'm, I'm going away this week. I'm going to Kathmandu. I'm trying to get as far away from my family as possible. 
Yeah, they will. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, turn a corner in some, you know, back street of, of wires and monkeys. If you've ever been to Kathmandu, it's full of electric wires hanging out of poles and, and monkeys, right? And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I came around the corner and there they all were sitting in a rickshaw <laughs> smiling at me. But I go, to, I go to Kathmandu this week and I want to I wanna fuel up the intercessors. I want to fuel up the prophets of the house. I want you to fight for the house. I want you to put down anything that suggests anything that's the, uh, you know, that touches the, the house of God. You know, you can come and tell me about what's wrong with the place and all I can go and say is, I know that. But it's not what's wrong with the place, it's what we're doing to obey the Lord, to produce what God has called us to produce. It's about participation. It's about loving the house, you know. <laughs> you know. Oh, God. Yeah, you know, and say, yeah, I know that. I know that, but I don't want to be part of the forces of destruction. I want to be part of the forces of producing. I want to be part of the forces of faith. I want to be part of the forces that live the dream, Right? And so when I go away, I want to ask you to pray for the church and pray for your leaders and stand with them and make bold and beautiful affirmations of appreciation on them and love them and support them and be in the prayer meeting this week and we'll all be happy because we're battling through to the places that God has got destined for us in the call that's on this church. And uh, it's such a powerful call. I, this, the, the journey of this past year is staggering. And the prophetic word, the preaching, uh, prophetic stuff in the preaching, the visiting guys that have been amongst us have, have really sown into this last, this, you know, this year um, in such a way that we're poised for uh, an enormous future. And when I say that, I'm not caught up with size of the beast. I'm caught up with the influence of the beast the power of God being released into a city. And uh, so be, be a participator, be a builder, be, a, be an authentic lover of the house of God and supporter of those that lead. So I want to take you now to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33, having shifted something off my heart there. I was uh, just listening to the Lord this morning about the Apostle Paul when he was moving from Ephesus and he said, just watch it when I go because this is going to happen. Some grievous wolves are going to come in amongst you. Now, I'm not telling you, I'm not warning you that I didn't hear that part from God that some grievous wolves are coming. Um, but he did say this, while I'm out of here, other things will stir up. You know, And I just want to encourage you to keep standing strong and not let other things stir up and uh, you know, beat them back with everything you've got. Um, okay, so let's get into a, um, a, a lifting of hands and lifting of the, strengthening the feeble knees and making straight paths for a feet, getting into the Word of God. I don't know what to call this. I, I, no, 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 that's not it. No, yeah. Go back, title. Yeah, there we go. Pulling absurdities into reality. Goodness me, look at the bad. Or is it just because I'm that close that I can't focus? But um, uh, uh, pulling absurdities into realities. We started this uh, uh, as a series, um, I think the last time I spoke, which came out of the series on faith that we did. But I, I've got a subtitle for this one, which won't go up there. It's called Hook, Line and Sinker. You know, <laughs> that's usually a negative thing. You know, he was taken hook, line, and sinker. Um, 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 
but absurdities, and uh, we'll explain ourselves. Please explain, as one Australian politician is very well known for saying. Um, so we can go to that text, Hebrews 11.33, which is a bit of the, the theme uh, text for uh, what we're about here. And uh, it says, Their faith, faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. These, these great heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 heard from God in every predicament, in every situation, in all their need, and in all their opportunity, they heard from God. And when they heard from God, that faith latching on to the instruction of the Lord in their circumstance or need, helped them to pull into reality those things for which they were believing. I've just got to put this out there, of course. They, in the main, did not have a Bible in their hand in which they could locate the promises by chapter and verse. Um, most of their promises were through encounters with God where the intuitive word of the Lord or sometimes the audible word of the Lord or even supernatural manifestation was the circumstance by which they got revelation. Now, I actually believe in that, and we believe in that, because we're Pentecostals. Little nudge, nudge, push, push. We believe in the manifestation of the Spirit. We, we do get led by the Spirit. Um, he does speak to us. But we have a more sure word of prophecy. It's called the Bible, you know? And everything is assessed, judged, and measured up by this. And then beyond the more sure word of God as a kind of a measure, judge, and so on. Uh, there's something else about this book that is incredibly different from any other book. And that is, it comes alive. When the Spirit hits the Word and the Ramer, the speaking forth of God out of His Word hits you, it's the same as if God was speaking to Abraham by the campfire at night. It's the same as when, you know, we were singing that song, when I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded. You go, going back to the, the prophet, was it Elijah? You know, it's the same as the prophets having a revelation from God. When God's Spirit touches this and gets it into you, it's the same empowering presence of God and His Word to put you into the hall of faith. And so these people fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. Luke 17. The apostles said to the, oh, sorry, Luke 17 verses 5 and 6. It'll come up there. You'll see it. The Luke 17. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. It's a great picture, isn't it? It's from New Zealand. Weird things happen in New Zealand. (laughs) 
in effect, Jesus never concurred with the idea that they had need of an increase of faith. You'd have to have been around for our series on faith to kind of get what I'm meaning by that. But Jesus' only concern was a thing he called little faith, or that we call little faith, not as in size, but it's a, it's a single word, oligopistia in the Greek. We've gone through all of that. But a thing that he called oligopistia, which is the, the reduction of faith by reductionist thinking. It's the dilution of faith by trying to make it a manageable thing in our thinking. And when Jesus says, you can move mountain from here to there, He's basically saying, if you can shift that reductionist thinking that brings God down to get real, that brings God down to something you can manage, then you can have the impossible. Then you can pray for all things and they will come to pass. The mountain is the problem. In the prophetic language of Scripture, the mountain is always the problem. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord to Zerubbabel, this mountain shall be removed. The Lord says, I will remove the mountains and make a straight path for you. Mountains are obstacles. Mountains are not the impossible dream. Mountains are something to be shifted so that you can have the impossible And when these guys come to Jesus talking about faith, wanting an increase of faith, and and, and in another situation in one of these texts that I referred to, um, you know, he's he's, he's kind of going, you know, what are we going to do, Lord? and, And the Lord says, it's not what I'm going to do, it's what you're going to do. And Jesus, the problem is, we come asking Jesus for something and He says, well, wait a minute, let me tell you about faith. It's not what I'm going to do for you. It's not, not whether I can do the miracle. Of course I can. It's not in question. It's whether you will. It's pretty shattering. You, you study it out again. You know, get the podcast, do something, go over it. Look in the Bible, it's even better. <laughs> but we have reductionist thinking, get real. Well, you know, you just, you don't want to go too far with this. You know, you're, lo- you're losing your sense of reality. Get real. I'm here to tell you that if you can manage it, you don't need faith. If you can produce it, you don't need faith. Just get on with producing it. It's a good thing. If you can, if you can, if you can bring it to pass by... I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even being facetious. I'm not being critical. I'm not shooting it down. But uh, you can bring it to pass by genuine good works. Get ahead and doing it. That's what you're supposed to do. And the Lord said, never said you need more faith. He just went on to talk about this rather absurd thing. He said, if you had faith, you could plant a mulberry tree in the sea. That's nuts. (laughs) Jesus used absurdities to teach us the realities of faith. Move a mountain, plant a mulberry tree in the sea. 
Jesus didn't say, oh, you've got a little tiny faith. We need to grow that. He said, you've got reductionist faith, which is trying to manage the absurdities to something that's not so absurd that you can get a hold of and produce yourself. And he said, but if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, if it was that, if it was about size, it's all the potential of the kingdom is in that seed. The power and the potential of faith is so concentrated. You don't need a truckload. You don't need to flex and grow in the sense that you have more faith. You just need to realise the potential of the faith that's in you. And when Jesus answers these difficult situations that were presented to him around this issue where he responds in these, in these texts about faith and so on, he, he, he's, he's not saying if you have faith as a question that you, whether you've got it or not. It's the kind of language, it's, it's really a positive affirmation and assumption that you do have the faith. So if you have the faith in you, the size of a grain of mustard seed, then just use it. That's the tenor of the Greek idiom there. That is, it's not about, well, look, I know you guys, if you had faith, you could do something, but you don't have it. You see? That's, that's not what he's doing. Are you with me? It's going to get more exciting now. You think, Fletch, you've gone absurd. Well, that's good. You see, <laughs> the paradox of faith is, if our faith is unhooked from absurdity, then it remains a religious fantasy. That's the paradox. Oh, man, we can theologize about it. We can philosophize about it. We can get all religious about it, but not pull on it. We can be worried about being taken hook, line, and sinker. And so we have all the measures and the boundaries and the borders. And we reduce faith down to a possibility, a long shot. Possibility. I'm trying to tell you when our faith remains unhooked to absurdity, we don't need faith. And the paradox of faith is our faith that is unhooked from absurdity remains a religious fantasy. I'm not talking about the faith, as in capital T with a capital F and walking in the Christian experience and Christian life. I'm talking about an active, living dimension of faith. I've got to say, it's lovely having the Rodways here. I've got to say that back in the early 70s, um, Cherie's dad... Uh, was preaching in one of our conferences on the issues of faith. 
And I think for the first time in my life as a young Christian, I began to see that there is within us, invested in us, in Jesus, this dimension that is, it's an assumption to make that is good, that every Christian has within them this seed, this potential, you know, highly powerful dimension for securing answers, for finding opportunities, for releasing provision, for doing the miraculous. And we're battling on heaven's door, wanting Jesus, God, or somebody to go over us, beyond us, to do the miracle. And He's looking at me saying, I want you to. <laughs> and when I started to learn some of this and was working in company with some people who, who grasped this, it changed my world. It'll probably ruin your world too, by the way. <laughs> you start to live the insecure life as in not secure on the things that are around you. And so just to further on in this whole dimension, in Matthew 17, Peter has a little private lesson going on. And this is for us people, a private lesson. Jesus had done all that talk about faith and moving mountains and, you know, planting mulberry trees in the seed. He had, he had spoken into the absurd. He goes a little further and a little personal with Peter. I want to take you to Matthew 17. And it says, when they arrived at Capernaum, this is where much of this was taking place. Capernaum was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. When they arrived at Capernaum, the tax men came to Peter and asked, does your teacher pay taxes? And Peter said, well, of course. <laughs> But as soon as they were in the house, Jesus confronted him. Simon, what do you think? When a king levies taxes, who pays? His children or his subjects? And he answered, his subjects. And Jesus said, then the children get off free, right? But so we don't upset them needlessly. So we don't upset those collectors needlessly. So we don't upset the establishment. So we don't upset the religious, uh, uh, you know, powers that be, go down to the lake, cast a hook and pull on the first fish that bites. There's a word from the Lord coming for people in this room here today. I really believe this. And it's in that phrase that I've just read. Go down to the lake, cast a hook. Now, Gordon and Judy, I know that could mean go down to the lake. <laughs> but I'm talking about go down to your familiar circumstance, go down to the lake Cast a hook and pull on the first fish that bites and open its mouth and you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to the tax men. It will be enough for both of us. <laughs> well, of course, the prosperity preacher comes out with that. Makes all sorts of great things about opportunities and things that you do. And there'll be enough for both of us. A double portion. This preacher sees those last words and goes, capiche? There's something else going on in here. Let me just rattle this on for a little minute. But the temple, 
This was a temple tax. This was not the head tax of the Romans. This is a temple tax. This is a religious tax. This was um, something that came out of Exodus chapter 30, where Moses had said in preparation for building the tabernacle, and it had gone on as part, and, and, and rightly so in principle, for the, for the provision for the house of God. That there was, that at the age of 20 and, and up, every man had to pay a tax. A certain, and it wasn't, it wasn't super huge. It was big enough that you had to work. It was like two days' wages, but it wasn't, you know, beyond, you know, 90, 80% of the people. It, it, was, it was just something you had to get about and do and, and, and support the, the house of God. Now, it's kind of interesting to me that it's Matthew that sees this and puts it in his gospel. It's in no other, it's in no other gospel. And, and, and do you know what Matthew was before he got... Jesus. Yeah, he was a tax collector. So he's kind of wired into anything to do with tax. He can smell a rat, but not the rat of the person not paying the tax. Uh, 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 oh, yeah, I'll just keep going with this. Uh, but he, could, he, he, he understood that tax collectors were an unscrupulous breed, be they those that are working for the Romans or those that are working for the temple in the temple tax collection because there were certain perks and lurks that came with the job and certain opportunities that you had. And one is you could exempt yourself from paying tax while you profited about catching those who were not paying tax. Can you see the absurdity in that? Not the good absurdity. Can you see the, you know... You, you can shoot your mouth here, but not be doing it there for you, but you can profit by it. And these guys came along and they say to Peter, why don't you just go right up to the one? Well, they never do, you see. They never do. They never go to the person. They go to an associate. And they say to Peter, does, does he pay the tax? You know? What they're trying to do is they're making Peter a trap stick. You want to tra you ever try when you were a kid guys, did you ever try to catch a bird in a box with a stick and a string? <laughs> now, th this comes out of the boy's own manual. I mean, this is, you know, modern days they just get a BB gun and blow the thing off the fence. <laughs> but you know, well, you know, I tried this many times. We used to catch sparrows. No kidding, we used to catch sparrows. You know, had a box propped up with a stick on it and a long rope, and we'd be sitting in the garage with, a, with a stick, the stick thread through. When they opened the garage door, just a little bit, we could put it through between where the hinges were, and the bird wouldn't see us out on the lawn. We had bread out there, and all sorts of stuff. Had to put the cats away under the house. And, and, then, and when that sparrow, we'd pull the trap stick and bang, and we got, got ourselves a bird. I don't know what we did with it after that, but <laughs> trap stick. They're, they're making Peter a trap stick. If, you know, does your master pay the tax? Because if, if Peter goes, well, no, 
then the accusation is, are you guys involved in a religious insurrection? Are you beating the system to take over? See? Um, and, and Peter does a very instinctive thing. Now, Jesus had already told them, look, he said, look, I, um, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And Jesus is, the law is holy, righteous, and good. That's a description of Jesus. So Peter's fully aware that if it's in the law, Jesus is going to do it. And so when these guys set the trap, and Peter's the trap stick, Peter just goes, well, of course. Of course. I mean, everything informed him that Jesus would and did. Now, when he gets home, Jesus wasn't with him in that conversation, apparently. But when he gets home, when he gets with Jesus, he's, he's about to bound out. Oh, I've just got something to tell you. There's some guys out there trying to get you. You know, he's got this little story to tell. The collectors are out there. They were asking some inside information about how it's handled. You know? And they come bounding up. And, and Je- before Peter can even get to speak, Jesus goes, the Bible says, Jesus in the Old Testament, sorry, in the, in the Old King James, It says, and Jesus prevented him. Now, it didn't mean stopped him. It it really means like what we would say, Jesus preempted him. Before Peter could get out his story, Jesus started doing something. I want you to say something after me. And these are the words. The situation is not the situation. Oh, yes. From here on out in this message, you're going to get this. This is what's going to drive you nuts on the way home. The situation is not the situation. (laughs) So as Peter's about to have a shot, not a shot at Jesus, but to tell Jesus about those that were trying to have a shot at him, the situation is not the situation. Now, you see, Peter did have it right. Jesus is holy, righteous, and good. And he came to fulfill the law, not abolish the law, and and all of that. But you might notice that in the answer that Jesus gave, he hadn't yet paid the tax. Just just, just implication. He hadn't yet paid. There was a a time period, just like us, there's a time period, you know. You know, you're sweating on it about April, you know. But Jesus says, but Peter, does the king's son have to pay the tax? No, not in those regimes, absolutely not. Well, does, if it's my father's house, these are the implications. Do I have to pay the tax? Peter's like, what are you saying? You see, the situation is not the situation. You think it's that, but it's not. It's this. You know. Jesus is not trying to trap Peter. But Peter's going, well, no, you will. And the obvious implication is Jesus hasn't paid his tax yet. But then Jesus is saying, I don't need to either. In other words, I've got to say this. Jesus is not subject 
to the Romans or to the temple. He's not subject to anybody. He's holy, righteous, and good. Whichever way he goes about and what he does, he's holy, righteous, and good. He's not subject. But you see, the situation is what? Is not the situation. This isn't Jesus in, in defense of himself. Um, Jesus now moves on Peter. And he gives Peter something very absurd to do, to participate in. Hey, go down to the lake, that's not absurd. Go jump in the lake, maybe. But go down to the lake and hook in a fish. And the first fish that comes up, there's coins in, your, in its mouth. And there's enough there for both of us. Now, when Jesus says that, uh, I don't know how to say it in church, but Peter's nearly wetting himself. Like, are you? <laughs> yeah, I haven't paid my tax either. <laughs> yeah, you know? Uh, at the end of the, the narrative here is a little revelation that this guy, Peter, it, it's kind of convenient. Get it, get it like this. When, the, when, when he makes defense of Jesus, it's a convenient deflection from the fact that he hasn't paid. And his assumptions that Jesus would, it's all, all well and good, but, you know, his de <laughs> he defends Jesus, but he deflects, they're not going to ask me about me. Thank you, God. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know. Uh, we're, we're tricky little humans. We're all doing this. Uh, you know, but the situation is not the situation. And it's important to see this, that somehow there's something going on here. Somehow Jesus is going further than what brought this situation on. And the situation is not the situation. And in fact, this is put in the Bible and while it's a narrative and a story and only Matthew gets it because as a tax collector, this one struck a chord. He could read what's going on in the sort of flow of the story. But it's put in the Bible and it's almost like a parable. There's, there's no conclusion to this text. It doesn't say that Peter went down, did exactly that and found the coin. Now, I believe he did. But it's, it's, it's left like a parable. It's, it's left like a, like a, a story with a meaning. It's left like it's in the Word of God for you and me today. It's left like Jesus is saying something beyond what He's saying, that the situation is not the situation. And He's trying to get something to us. That's pretty important. I've got to quickly get this one out, otherwise, whew, the turkey will burn. And it's very important to see that this is about us. Jesus tells Peter to do something that's in the realm of the absurd and to participate in it. It's not what precipitates this event, but it's how Jesus involves himself with Peter that really matters. And this is the good news coming out now. I don't care what the circumstances that's produced your need. Even the situation that produces your shame.
Even the situation that dictates to you the sense of failure. Even the situation of your crisis and your need. Even your situation about, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I know. It's, uh, I didn't pay my taxes. Even, and this isn't about that. If somebody's under conviction, they'd take it from the Holy Spirit. But the situation is not the situation. The situation is this. It's about how Jesus gets involved with you and me. Notice, on an extremely personal level. And why do I say that? Wow. Why do I say that? The fisherman of the day, and this particular fisherman, he had a fishing company. He had a troop of fishermen. Andrew, Peter, John, you know. He had boats named after their grandmothers. Saucy Sue, Sloppy Jane, you know. I mean, and they fish with nets. And, you know, it's well within the comfort zone to go fishing. But they had a troop. They had a company. They had a bunch of people. And they hauled in many fishes. I'm I've just got to kind of point out something. Jesus said, don't use your boat. You go down and hook one in. Well, Peter said, well, that's okay. I'm a bit of a fanatic on this. I've got these incredible rods and reels back home, and I love to use them, you know. This is before rod and reel people. This is before pro bass shops. You know, I was raised in a fairly, um, a fairly what would you say, uh, low socioeconomic uh, family out in the country who, uh, where, where we had a, the family farm, my grandparents' farm, ran into the, out of the mountains into the sea. And we had, we had shorelines to infinity that nobody else walked on but us. And... Um, uh, and, and we used to go fishing a lot. We couldn't afford rods. We never had We had old-fashioned hand lines. <laughs> you look at me like you look at me, you know, a hand line. You know. It's not one of those yellow plastic rings from Canadian tire fishing section that you have on your kayak. This was a stick that we cut off a tea tree bush no kidding, a stick this long, and it was string rope. So there was no filament. It was no nylon. It was green. Do you remember this stuff, Patty? It was green rope, string. And you had to know how to, you don't even know what I'm doing when I do this. You don't know what I'm doing. But if you were, if you were pulling in that line, you were going like this. You were turning the stick and you were figurating over the top and the bottom of the line, figuring, so that the thing would actually put a lovely, Sherry knows. And when you were going to cast it, you had to throw that thing on the ground. <laughs> oh, man. You had to unwind it. And then you had to wind it back, all loose. And then you had a sinker and a hook, and you had that bait on really good, otherwise a seagull got it as it flew off. <laughs> and you would swing around, and you'd throw it, you had to make sure your foot wasn't caught on it. And that thing would launch off out and go out into the deep, and then you had to pick that thing up before the stick flew off after it, and you held it. Peter, go down and hook a fish. Well, I've got nets. 
I got a comfort zone. <laughs> oh, that's my familiar territory. There's a bullfrog green. You know. But you see, it's in the nature of Jesus to get involved in our personal circumstances because the situation is not the situation. He wants to teach us something. He wants to get to us something. And the great thing about this story is really not about the tax collectors and supporting the house of God, no matter how we want to make it a story about paying your tithes and all that sort of stuff, no matter how we want to talk about the double portion that comes in and all of that. Look, that can be, that can be you know, a preacher's license. He gets license to do that inspirationally. <laughs> but it's what Jesus tells Peter to do that really matters in this story, or that he tells Peter to do something. In effect, he's saying, Peter, you have it all sorted out. You have me sorted out. You have it all biblically sorted out. You have it all about the temple. All about... Jesus could say to Peter, I know things about this temple that you don't know. I know that within a few short years, maybe, maybe 40 years from now, it's going to be raised to the ground. You don't need to pay taxes to a doomed house. You know, Jesus could get, he could wax with more knowledge infinitely, about those realities. But Peter was in reductionist mode. <laughs> uh, Jesus was in absurd mode. And what really matters is what really matters to Jesus. The situation is not the situation. Uh, Peter's faith is unhooked. Peter's faith is unhooked. His personal Involvement in the works of faith is unhooked. He's got the philosophy. Uh, he's got the understanding. He's got the associate members <laughs> that troop with Jesus together. They can do things. You, just, just to point it out, there's no real need in this story. So I'm not preaching to your needs. Not in this realm. There's no real needs in this story. Peter had no need in this story. I'll tell you why. It's not that he wasn't going to pay his tax necessarily, but it was this. He just needed to go to work, pull in a few more, pay it off, and they'd be fine. No, don't no, truly. The means to pay it off. It, it, it was in the comfort zone. He could do that. There was no real need. It wasn't like Peter had his back against the wall. I don't have money, and the tax man's coming. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? No there's, no, there's no real need here. Uh, G Jesus doesn't have a need. He knows where the money is. He knows it's in a fish's mouth, just waiting to be caught. He already knows that. Jesus has no need other than that. He, he could have said, look, well, Peter, now we've got all that over there and I've exposed the fact that you haven't paid, you, you know, you defended me, but really you deflected, you know, blah, 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 blah. The situation is not the situation, Peter. It's okay, here we go. Let's just, let's just believe. And then there's a knock on the door. And there's an angel with an envelope for your taxes. Now, you know, I've had angels with envelopes. I've had messengers from God, truly. Oh, they weren't shining bright, But I've had people hand me an envelope at a time of need. At a time of need. And when I've opened it up, it's been exactly what we needed. 
Patty and I got an envelope with two checks in with $250,000, was that of the amount? $250,000 each in it with our names in it. When we've been crying out to God for a place for the church. And an angel through a solicitor and a few other, both a lawyer and a few things like that. I mean, Jesus could have had an angel, but I want to tell you people, this is not about miraculous angel provision. This is about angling, not angels. Jesus is going, I know you could go down there with your buddies. You got the boat, you got the nets, you got the time. We've got the time. That's a Johnny Walker ad, isn't it? Oh dear. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. But you can do it. If it's within the comfort zone, you don't need faith. If it's a long shot, you don't need faith. It might take some concentration, some effort, and some hanging in there. But faith takes you to the absurd. And if it's not absurd, it's a religious fantasy. You can have it all sorted out, you know. I know the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, oh man, I'm going to say this now. But I'm going to. Um, we, we, God provided us years ago with a, us, the, the, the troop we were with, um, a, an incredible conference center. 5,000-seat auditorium on the edge of the escarpment in the Blue Mountains. We had views like you wouldn't believe off the back car park. Uh, just the mountain dropped, you know, like a 600-foot cliff just down from the car park. It was brilliant. Landscape had been an old colonial girls' school um, that had a new building put on it that was the auditorium. and So it had... It had landscaping, rows of uh, uh, Norfolk pine, pine trees going around the driveways. And it was just superb, you know. God blessed us. We'd been going for, for, you know, close on whatever it was, 15 years without a church building. Just like this journey. I'm sorry, people. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is heritage. I'm so sorry. But, but you know. We, we laboured and sought God for a place. But we learned over the journey that the building didn't make the church, right. right? And that we were the church. So it used to be like sometimes on a Sunday because of the, the situation in which we had to navigate church and getting places to, to, to function, it could be that even week to week we didn't know. And we had this little saying, where is the church going this Sunday? And we would phone up because the church is the people. Now, we were very much the people. We were a community of faith. And we were wandering our wilderness, but we knew that when God could give us a building and other things could be established, other things could be done. And God gave us a building. You know, we were like, like 250 people in a 5,000-seat auditorium. <laughs> God, you've got overkill going on here, you know. We're going to clean this place, you know. Think of the rows of toilet paper that have to be replaced, you know. You know, whatever. There's a cost to revival, I tell you. But, you know... So we, we're, we're awesome. We called a celebration. 
And there was this lovely old couple. This is old guy. He was, a, he was a good Pentecostal campaigner, quite well known, not ultra famous, but he was known for his prophetic gift and whatever. And he wanted to come along and celebrate on this particular day we opened the facility. And right in the middle of it, oh, you know, I mean, we don't get any of this, so I don't want to knock it because I think it's in the Bible. I know it's in the Bible. We need more of that. But, but sometimes it's just like, oh, here he goes. And uh, there was a tongues message. And... Um, you know, and which has to be interpreted. And if somebody doesn't interpret it, the general rule is if nobody's no interpreter, you interpret it. You know, there's a tongue message from the same guy, and uh, and then he interprets it. And when he interprets it, there's this word of the Lord to us as a people, where God tells us through His interpretation that the church is the people; it's not the building. Now I don't know whether he didn't feel that there was no faith for him in that moment, but our people had spent 15 years. And I was like, God, have you seen our journey? Or has seen our journey? You see, the situation was not the situation. The situation was this. We were celebrating God's goodness and kindness for something that he could see that was beyond us. We could do without it. We could do without that building. But God saw that we needed it. Bam! This message isn't about the building, but God knows we need it. There's something he's got up his sleeve. The situation is not the situation. Are we going to have it all worked out? It's a doom thing, you know. We've got to finish down our patties and getting himself further into trouble. But listen, Jesus answers for you. (laughs) Because the situation is not the situation, he'll say things like this, go down to the lake. Oh, that's familiar territory to a fisherman. That's Peter's home body of water. That's his lake. That's his sea. But if your faith is unhooked, Jesus is going to get involved in your world where you are. He's not going to send you to Africa or Kathmandu where I'm going next weekend to spend a week with another church movement preaching and teaching to those people about the same thing. But Jesus isn't going to get you out there doing all this stuff. He comes you into your hometown with you to get you plugged into something right where you are in your circumstances. You may be so familiar with it, but He wants to get involved in your familiar circumstances to shift you from your comfort zones and your theorizing of faith and your philosophies of faith and your subscriptions to the ideas of faith and get you somehow involved where your faith is now hooked into something that's absurd. And it's not about the building and it's not about this and it's not about that. It's the situation is not the situation. The situation is you, me. It's God, it's Jesus making a move on us. Like Peter's going, do I know fishing? I can do it easier than that. There's no need in this story. Not really. Jesus had the power to do a miracle, answer prayer, send it through the door with an angel. Peter had all the boats, the fishes, the nets. But Jesus says, Peter, your faith is unhooked. 
you're living in the comfort zone of your troop, in your territory. But where I'm going to take you in the future is going to require that you are a man of faith. You are a woman of faith. And I'm investing in you for something way beyond the situation because the situation is not the situation. I've got to ask you the question, will you participate as business as usual? Oh yes, I belong to the faith. Or you let Jesus come and put a little requirement on you. He says, go cast a hook. That's highly personalized fishing. No, it is. It's highly personalized. You don't share the hand line. You never share a hand line. I've got to tell you, never share your rod or your hand line with somebody else. Never. Because they'll catch the fish. And they'll say it's theirs. Jesus said, your faith is unhooked. You're living in your comfort zones. I want you to know the pull of that thing. I want you to know the fight of that thing. Oh man, you get a handline going and you've got a 20 pound snapper on there. It starts to rip into your palms. Those things fight. They don't want to come up. They're in that dimension that refuses to come to this dimension. Your provision, your answers, your opportunities are in that other dimension. And God wants you to go within the context of your current life, in the context of your certain familiar circumstance. And He wants you to get in there and find that He's got an unusual way of dealing with you, of helping you out, of ministering to you, of opening opportunities. <laughs> it's not about money, it's about answers, it's about opportunities, it's about provision, it's about anything you might need from God or even if you don't have a need, what He sees that you have a need for in terms of faith. I don't want a building. Jesus said, I want you to have a building because I want you to process some faith. A building of... Because the situation is not the situation. Oh, have I said enough? Can we all go home? Oh my Jesus. <laughs> Go down to the lake, cast in a hook, and the first fish that comes up has got money in its mouth. There's a word from God here for somebody. You do this. You find the applications of this. And the first fish, the first catch, that's where it is. And that flipping fish came up with a coin that was worth exactly twice the tax. It exposed Peter on so many levels. But I reckon he never forgot it. The only other guy never to forget it was Matthew. But he was a tax collector, you know. (laughs) But I guarantee Peter's life was changed from that moment on because Jesus got involved in his familiar circumstances pushed him beyond his comfort zone, got highly personalized with him and got him into doing something that took him to something where the situation was not the situation, but it was what Jesus was producing in him as a man of faith. Stand up. Stand up. Jesus. Oh, God. I haven't got used to seeing the digital clock yet. Keep looking up at the other one. I can't see the hand, so I think that's good. We'll just keep preaching. Oh my God, I delivered. I delivered on so many fronts this morning.
please just take it as from the Lord and doing my best to deliver what I'm thinking God is saying. Oh, God. Oh, God. Jesus. Open your heart to God. You get to bait it, people. Open your heart. You get to bait that line. You get to put some smelly old dead muscle or something on it. You you, got to go through all that rigmarole of getting it set and casting it out. And then you got to get persistence going. Faith requires persistence. Getting a hooked on faith means you stick with it till you hook on. Don't go off the hook again. Ah, that doesn't work. I'm going back to my boats. Jesus said, you can do that, but you won't learn this because the situation is not the situation. Don't get all smelly about, I can do a better way. Jesus is saying, yeah, but it won't make a better man or woman of you. Because what I'm doing is transforming you. You won't be a theological faith person. You won't be a philosophical, religious faith person. This is not about provision. This is about participation. This is about process. And so that persistence, people, is part of the thing. And when that thing hits it, that fish, he's already got enough in his mouth. But he takes your bait, whatever that is, whatever the scheme, whatever the dream, whatever the thing that's in your hand, whatever God has got you to put on that thing, to put it out there in your familiar territory, to go indifferent, to go in with attitude, to go in to fight, to get. That thing takes the bait and then it starts to fight you. It does not want to come out of its dimension. It does not want to come out of its pool. It does not want to come out from water. It doesn't want to. It fights against coming to the top. It does not want to come into your hand. But you're fighting now. Your hands are bleeding. Right now, even in faith, you're holding on to that line. You're pulling. You're pulling, you're holding. You're holding, you're pulling. You find that thing's weighting down so hard on the bottom, it won't come out. You think you're snagged. You're going zigzag on the line. You're twanging it. You're trying to get it to shift off the rock, but it ain't no rock. It's just trying to get you to stop. But you fight the good fight of faith. And all the while, your head's going, I've got, I've got another way of doing this. Oh man, I gotta, you know, if it's that important, if that temple, if that whatever, you know, oh, I gotta, just, oh man, you're thinking about your buddies, they go fast in the boat with a net dragging. And you're standing there with a line looking like an idiot. You know, oh God, throw me one of them guys, I'll take it back, you know. But Jesus is on to you, He's involved in your situation, and He's got you doing something. Come on, in faith. Pull that thing in. Pull that thing in. 
don't cross the world to get it. I'm, I'm talking to the average person. Some of us travel a lot. I'm not talking about me and Jeff. <laughs> but in your familiar circumstance, don't, don't ease back. Keep, keep in there. Keep fishing. One line at a time. Keep fighting. Keep going for it. And that thing comes up, I'm telling you. The first fish that comes up. You'll find suddenly Jesus is, wow, like, wow, bam. He was in that. The opportunity came to you. The door opened to you. The provision was made in the most unusual way if you hadn't have kept that persistence and fight. If you cut down your options and stop thinking about, well, there are other options. The first fish, there are other ways. You're fighting. You're fishing. You're angling. And Jesus is in it. Because the situation was not the situation. This is the situation. You're going to get it. Thank you, Lord. Father, I prophesy. I speak over these people. The hauling in. The hauling in of faith. The hooking of faith. A faith that's hooked on. A faith that holds on. A highly personalised faith in every one of us. A non-excusing faith. A no reduction. And in the name of Jesus, I say to you, go to the lake. Go to your circumstance. Go to your familiar territory and get personal and hook that answer. And the first one that comes up is for you. It's for you. It'll relieve you of your debt. It'll relieve you of your guilt. It'll relieve you of your frustration that you knew a better way. And suddenly you will see with eyes open that the situation is never the situation. That God has many and varied things that He'll put you through that you don't understand and prefer not to be and can even prove with a Bible text you shouldn't be there. And I don't mean sin. But you'll see that God goes far beyond you. And creates revelation. It's always consistent with Himself and His Word. But you're not bound to your philosophies. You're a man and a woman of faith. Amen. Amen. Well, there you go. You better let me out the door because I'll preach for too long. Jesus. We have an opportunity here for prayer. We always do this. Our team loves to pray with you. Maybe today they will just ask you to open your eyes and see that you're highly personalized in your walk with Jesus on the issues of faith, that you're not expecting their hand to impart your answer. But God has got the faith in you that needs to be activated. Come out, let them join with you, agree with you about your need they will pray for you. You'll be here today. You don't know Jesus? This is the Jesus that wants to get involved in your world. An extraordinary life. 
change life. You come out the front too and just say to one of our leaders, they come up to pray with you. <laughs> Before I hook into anything else, I want to hook into Jesus. There begins this amazing journey. Thanks for listening. For more information, join us online at c3b.ca.